Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Rick Bust. He's the president at BioRoof Systems Inc. So Rick, thank you, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. And I was looking to your background. You started, you know, you're in the, the green roof space, rightfully in horticulture. What was the original plan? Oh, it's funny that there's not really an original plan. It was, it sort of just happened by a coincidence, but yeah, I guess straight out of college, I got into the landscape industry. So my training is as a, as a horticulturist. I ran my own landscape business for a number of years. And then I had a friend come up to me with a new business idea, and he is currently my business partner. And we purchased the first blower trucks that came into Ontario. So after purchasing the blower truck, we started to get calls for installing media on rooftops. And we thought, well, that was very interesting. So we we ended up doing about 25 green roof installations of growth media with our blower trucks prior to me even being aware that there was a green roof industry. So, uh, you know, as time went on, we started to learn quite a bit about green roofs. I saw a lot of the practices that were done in the green roof world and felt that they could be improved upon. So we started creating products that would complement not just the growing media, but other aspects of green roofs. And at one time, my business partner said, well, Rick, you've basically reinvented the green roof. Why don't you turn it into a business? So, <laughs> so yeah, so that, that is how BioRoof was born. It was literally kind of by accident. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, before I dive deeper into your BioRoof company, I mean, were you always an early adopter? Like, you know, being the first isn't, isn't for everyone. Were you always the type to dive in or was that more your business partner? I think in many ways, I was dumb enough to dive in quite often. So, <laughs> you know, maybe I have more courage than brains. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I tend to like to look at trends and innovations and kind of learn about them. You know, my sort of modus operandi is to become an expert in whatever I decide to sort of delve into. So once I got into the green roof thing, I just started decided I'm I'm going to educate the daylights out of myself on how this industry goes and what are the sort of nuances that I need to know about. So yeah, that's kind of, and, th and that has been the history of most of my business is, uh, is to dive in and figure things out on the fly. So wonderful. Now on the green roof business, I mean, you're not coming in with a well, you had your uh, landscaping business, so you had some business experience, but it's a different type of business. I mean, what were some of the uh, bumps in the road on uh, building up the uh, green roof business? Well, I guess it's not an easy business to get into because it was so new. So you had sort of this uh, wild west of business, which often happens with kind of new innovations or new markets. So it was it was difficult to kind of establish exactly what we represented. The other part of it is because we came into it somewhat naively, we developed a system that was quite different from 
a lot of the systems that were kind of being imported out of Europe. So I was kind of, I don't want to say the victim, but in some ways I was the victim of a lot of Eurocentric green roof providers claiming that they had all the answers and uh, and that I was barking up the wrong tree. So so that was, that may have been possibly the biggest challenge is to sort of stick to my guns on what we had discovered about the green roofing projects that we had done and that they did not lead to the disasters that were predicted by the rest of the industry that sort of adopted a more European style green roof. I mean, without going into too much technical detail, what was the key insight that differentiated you? I guess as a result of our lower truck work and the fact that we were partnered with a, a um, specialized growth media provider called Growbark, we had quite a bit of experience in organic type medias and sort of blending products that were not necessarily aggregate. And the European experience is to use, you know, over 90% aggregate in their growth media mixes. And we felt like you could achieve better results by going with some of the different organic source material that we were using. I also was a big fan of using um, native vegetation as opposed to sort of hybridized or imported vegetation felt like in terms of performance the green roof could get a lot higher performance in terms of cooling and stormwater benefits and that sort of thing than the european prescription so really i was a definitely an outlier probably still am to a certain extent but at the beginning i was definitely an outlier i I still remember my first meeting with the president of the association where he basically said very sympathetically how I was destined to fail. So (laughs) because of my stance on the growth media, but I'm still here. (laughs) Well, what ultimately um, helped you turn the tide? Was it pure persistence? Was there a certain strategy, certain thing that helped you? What what was the specific thing you think to turn the tide for you a bit? Well, I think the, you know, time has a way of, uh, of solving a lot of these disputes. So as time went on, our green roofs that we had been involved in were not failing like was predicted by some of our detractors. And I kind of affectionately quote one of my detractors by saying, you know, when we did the Canadian War Museum, for example, he said, uh, I know what he's doing is wrong. But man, that museum sure looks good. (laughs) So, you know, it's now been, what, 17 years since we did the Canadian War Museum and that meadow is still on top of that roof and uh, and looking very healthy. So so it was just a matter of persistence. I think if you are confident in the science, you know, I did check. I'm not afraid to be wrong. And I think that's really important is is to make sure that you're not just digging your heels in because you're stubborn. I had gone out and I had sought other opinions and uh, talked to a number of university profs in the area of soil biology and hydrology and that sort of thing. And and I just thought, you know what, The, the science is there to support what we sort of naively just kind of put out there as the right way of doing things before we knew about the whole industry and the kind of the European experience. So, and I have to say, I I really have nothing against the European experience. In 
in many ways, it's a very simple, trouble-free green roof. But when it comes to wanting to achieve higher levels of performance, especially in the areas of cooling urban centers and biodiversity, I think there are better choices. Yeah. So sometimes having that sort of pre-experience is a detriment. Exactly. <laughs> I remember going to a uh, conference and finding out that I had done more green roofs than most people before I even knew about the industry. And uh, <laughs> it was kind of remarkable in that, you know, you go to your first conference, you think everybody's an expert there, but you find out, no, everybody's kind of junior to this whole thing. So. Yeah, for sure. Now, what are some of the trends you're looking at now going into the future? Well, I think green roofs are now kind of a, a mature part of the kind of green building movement. You know, for a long time, I think it could be said that they were kind of the fashion of the day. They were a cool thing to talk about. And you, you had your, your typical sort of front runners kind of pushing this new wild idea. But as time goes on, I think it's now kind of a cemented in part of what people think about in terms of sustainable buildings and that sort of thing. So I think that's important to consider. And now I've lost track of your question. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was just on trends that you were uh, tracking trends, going trends. forward. There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I went down my own little uh, rabbit hole there. But in terms of trends, I think... The trends are going to be in areas that have even more performance attributes. And, and I would say the number one trend right now is in stormwater mitigation. You know, I'm seeing throughout North America, basically, more and more jurisdictions tying the green roof to specific stormwater runoff coefficients and uh, detention and retention and because I think engineers are now looking at a green roof as a way to scale back some of their other offsite water holding structures, like stormwater management ponds and holding tanks and things like that, which have become necessary because of, in the U.S., EPA guidelines around, you know, stormwater. So basically, we're, we're seeing a real move towards kind of really... Um, charting out exactly what a green roof can achieve when it comes to handling stormwater. The other trend I see coming, and, and probably I was 20 years ahead, is this whole movement towards more native type green roofs. I think people are recognizing that that one type of plant does not suit the entire continent, especially when you look in areas like Southern California, Texas, Arizona, Nevada, Florida, those are unique climates that do not necessarily sort of follow that European prescription. And, and maybe that's part of the problem is that in Europe, most of this sort of modern green roof was developed in Germany. And Germany has a bit of variation to their climate, but nothing compared to, you know, from Fort McMurray to Laredo, Texas, you know, like, uh, so there is you can use that as a guideline, use those things as, you know, good information, but they don't necessarily translate perfectly into a completely different climate. Mm, yeah. So with all this stuff you mentioned earlier, that each area you try to become an expert, 
Now, what's your way of getting up on an area and trying to become an expert? Like, how do you approach it? Is there something special you do or what's your process? I guess it's a, a varied approach because I read a lot of scientific journals. So I, I read up on what people have discovered. I also talk to a lot of different practitioners, not only in the green earth industry, because I, that can be very insular, but also outside of the green earth industry where maybe I'll talk to a, an expert on um, prairie grasses or, or I'll talk to an expert on soil biology or things like that. So I, I do a bit of that. That's kind of on the academic side. And on the practical side, I love to get my hands dirty. So, you know, I have installed green roofs, so I'm not speaking out of turn when I give advice to a contractor, for example. Like I, I actually enjoy getting out there, putting the things together, understanding what the challenges are, and then trying to improve from there. So, and that's been something that is kind of I, I pushed throughout our business. In fact, not that long ago, we just did a video with the U of T as part of their um, design life's education series. But I had all of my office staff go up to our production field and work in the production field as part of this whole video series. And, it, and they all loved it because they, you know, they got to see all the things they do in the office. This is actually what happens at field level. And they were able to, you know, fill the modular trays with the soil filler, driving tractors and moving vegetation around. And so, you know, it's it's important to get people to, to experience our product as opposed to just theorizing about it or handling it from a purely uh, theoretical viewpoint. Yeah, for sure. That's a great practice. Are there any other practices that are unique to your company or that you've picked up with your research that, that uh, has helped you out? Yeah, I mean, uh, we spend a lot of time trying out different products. So we, we do a lot of experimentation. We, we usually have a, you know, a decent R and D tax credit every year. <laughs> we uh, get involved in research projects with various entities. We've done research with universities in the U S as well as in Canada. We've sponsored the whole grit lab research project at the U of T, which was given an ASLA research award in terms of how they were looking at the best fit for certain performance parameters in the green roof world. So we get involved in a lot of experimentation, like we will blend some of our own medias and then we'll test them against certain plants. And so I think, you know, given all that, if you don't keep researching, you're going to die. You're, you're going to sort of fall off the wagon at, at some point because technology will leave you behind. So we're always kind of messing around with different ideas. We have a big whiteboard in our boardroom where we sort of sketch out crazy ideas on a regular basis and, and some of them stick. So Wonderful. I love R&D. Now, the big question is, when you do a lot of R&D, how do you approach what to commercialize? How do you uh, step through there? Because you can't commercialize everything. Uh, how do you pick the winners? Yeah, I guess it's, uh, it, you know, that transition from blue sky to profitability. That's, that's kind of the, <laughs> the route. 
we have a very good CFO. So what I do is, uh, you know, along with my VP of operations, we come up with the ideas, but they have to be run through the ringer. And that is basically the financial ringer. Okay. What's the cost of implementing this? You know, what's the marketing cost? You know, what kind of market breadth? Is this something that can be easily integrated into our current lineup? Or, or is this something brand new that we have to structure a whole new program around? So we go through that entire exercise, much like any reasonable business would do. And, uh, and then if it makes it through that ringer, then it, then it goes out in the marketplace. And, you know, I would say we got a probably a 90% track record of new ideas ending up sticking in the program. So, well, that's a great rate. Now your interest in new things and stuff, does that translate to things outside the business as well? Oh yeah. It's funny. I, uh, I'm pretty active for an old guy. So <laughs> my wife and I, in fact, my whole family is quite active. So we, uh, we do a lot of working out together, but we also, we get out and try new things. I've done everything from skydiving to rafting to you name it. We, I try pretty much anything. We've, we've climbed mountains. We've, we always try to be active and involved and try new activities. And it's something my wife and I love to do. And I have three adult girls now, and they're all the same way. They all are, are quite active. So we love sort of going out and challenging ourselves to try new things, whether it's like going in some sort of competition or race, or whether it's just, you know, trying something new, going up on a helicopter ride, or I, I don't know, there's a million things I've, you know, taken exotic cars out for spins and <laughs> I've, uh, I've gone doom bugging in the desert. So, you know, we try lots of different things oh, too. That's wonderful. Yeah. Is there things where, you know, you've tried and then you've kind of changed out of the experience? Like it was extremely memorable out of all the things, what are some of the most memorable or memorable stories that have come out of all these uh, things that you've tried? Hmm. That's a big question. <laughs> I would say as I got older, I start to realize that injuries are part of experimentation. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I've had to uh, recognize that you can try lots of crazy new things on a personal level, but sometimes you'll get injured and it takes a little longer to recover. And as you get older on the business side, you know what, I, I don't really see anything that I wouldn't be happy to go through again. And uh, I mean, way back when in my landscape business, I was sued by a, somebody in my first year. And literally, I just got going. I, I landed this big new residential construction project. Everything went swimmingly. And then uh, at the very end, had an issue and I was sued. And at the time, I thought it was like the end of the world. Here I was, I was 20. I don't know how old I was, 25 or something. And I thought, there we go, you know, my my first foray into my own business and I'm already being sued and my life's over. And, but having gone through that experience was probably the best setup experience I've ever had in terms of, you know, building some strength to be able to um, uh, go out there confidently and realize that every setback is not necessarily the end of the world. So. I've tried to instill that in some of our staff and my family as well. Is that sort of the advice you give when people come to you as an entrepreneur or do you give other advice? 
Well, the first thing I uh, I often say is, are, are, is this your hobby? And if it is, then your hobby better be business. <laughs> you know, I have a son-in-law who was a very good renovator and he, he, you know, he was hands-on and he was extremely skilled and he does really beautiful work. And he decided he wanted to go out on his own. And so he came to me quite often for business advice. And I, I told him, I said, well, be prepared to leave your hobby behind and start looking at this as a business. Because at the end of the day, it, you know, it's nice to, if you love doing what you do and you don't want to grow and you don't want to turn this into a big business, maybe you can do that as a one or two man operation. But if you want to turn it into a business, you have to be a businessman. And that will have to take precedence over your your hobby. It's definitely a different skill set. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what I usually like to ask at this point, is there anything that you wanted to cover or I should have asked that you want to uh, get out there? You know, I think I, uh, I mentioned to you in our last call that I'd be starting this new video blog similar to this. <laughs> right. And um, it's, you know, we're going to call it Green Roofs Guru. And the funny thing is, is my marketing team actually encouraged me to do this. And I was kind of negative about the idea because I tend to be a fairly private person. And my daughter, who works for me, she was in the meeting and she just basically gave me the eyeball and said, Dad, this is the way things go now. And uh, (laughs) if you want to do marketing, you got to do this kind of thing. And uh, so, you know, I sort of bowed to her wisdom. I decided I'd give it a shot. And what I found interesting is the remarkably easy time I've had actually lining up interviews. You know, I've already got five interviews lined up and, you know, eventually we'll be kind of pushing this out. And the whole idea is that by raising my profile, we also raise the business profile because it is green roof centric. So absolutely. You're having conversations that you would have already have done anyways and exactly. you get to share it as marketing so it's a nice two or one and three or one depending on how you look at it exactly yeah yeah perfect well we look forward to that rick thank you for sharing your stories wonderful and i can't wait to find out what other adventures you have coming up with hopefully very few injuries all right <laughs> thanks Tats. all right thank you Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.